Gordon. It's good to see you all. You look really good today, I have to say. I was told one time, it said, if you want people to listen to you, butter them up first. So I'm just going to tell you how beautiful you all look, and hopefully it'll open up your ears this morning. Amen? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You do look good. I'm just kidding about the buttering up part. It's good to be in church. I'm excited. I hope you've enjoyed uh, this Hebrew series as much as I've enjoyed studying it and, and preaching it. And, uh, and just, you know, my whole thought process behind this, and, uh, and as you well know, is I just want us to have a better understanding of the fact that Jesus is better in every way. Amen? I just, I mean, I think if we just understand that in everyday aspects of our life, we just understand that, you know, when we're going through life and we're going through uh, depression, we're going through sickness, we're going through all these different things that come up in life and, and thick schedules and stuff, if we just remember that Jesus is better, I just think it will affect everything that we do. If we get up in the morning and we understand that spending time with Jesus is better than getting right into the hustle and bustle of the day, amen? Jesus is better. I just believe that with all my heart, and I think Hebrews makes that very clear. We're going to start again this morning by reading the passage from Hebrews 12, verses 18 to 29, and uh, set the stage for what we're going to talk about last week. Uh, we, we began talking about what it meant to be, uh, what the, better, the understanding of better word meant, and we went and looked at Cain and Abel, and this week I want to get back into Hebrews, and uh, we're going to tackle as much of it as I can, but I've kind of narrowed it down to the two major elements this morning. And uh, we'll close it out with a few thoughts at the end. But Hebrews chapter 12, beginning at verse 18, we're going to read down through to 29. Oh, man, sometimes I read the word and I just want to close my eyes and take it in, you know. So if you want to do that, just listen to these words. It's, it's, it's so powerful. Beginning at verse 18, it says, You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I'm trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, you have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all things, the spirits of the righteous made perfect. To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So to it, uh, see to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they had not escaped when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate that removing the removing of what can be shaken that has created things so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Father, 
Lord Jesus, I am just a vessel trying to communicate this powerful word in a way that breaks it down and helps us understand it deeper and helps us understand that your blood does speak a better word, speaks truth and life and hope and mercy and grace. And so, Father, in my efforts, Lord, to expand on your word and communicate today, I pray that, Lord, I would be in submission to your Holy Spirit, that you would be the primary communicator in this room today, Lord Jesus. Use me, Lord Jesus, and help me to function in the anointing you place in my life to do this, Lord Jesus. We love you. We honor you. Lord, help us to receive this word and apply it to our life today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm so thankful for, uh, before I get too deep into it here, I just want to say I'm so thankful for our team, and I love meeting with them on Tuesday and discussing, you know, things going forward, and it's, it's great to be able to, to go away. My wife and I are going away this week on vacation. And uh, some of you probably met my parents that are here this morning, and uh, the most whew, influential people in my life. Uh, they're here to take care of my kids this week, so that my wife and I can go away and sneak away a little bit. And so, uh, yeah, rub a little bit of that influence off them too, amen? All the grandparents in the house. So I'm just thankful, but I'm, I say, I'm just thankful. I just want to, to give our, our staff uh, just to prop them up a little bit. I'm so thankful that I can go away and, and understand that next week you guys get to hear Pastor Connie preach, who's amazing. She's going to preach an amazing sermon on hope next week. You're not going to want to miss it. And uh, we'll be watching, even though we're on vacation, watching online somewhere. And uh, actually in Nashville, Tennessee, I'm, we're going down south. If you didn't know, I'm a big Tennessee Titans fan, so a little bit of a bucket list trip for me. So they're not playing the greatest, but I digress. We're going to enjoy ourselves. We're looking forward to it. But uh, just so thankful for everybody, our staff, all those who volunteer, uh, Cindy and Glenn in the, in the booth back there, our worship team, amazing, amazing. Alan and, and um, Tina, and the team that you're going to get to enjoy all that they do from Cafe Connect a little bit later. I mean, we're just so blessed. And you know what? I'm just going to put it out there. We need more workers. Amen? Oh, that was a lot of amens. That, that, that sounded like commitment to me. All right. We need more volunteers. We do. I mean, if we're going to grow, if we're going to, if we're going to expand in these things, we need more people to learn and to share their talents in sound with us and share their talents in music with us and share their talents in service with us and, and uh, share their talents in teaching with us. We need you. We need you to step up and, and, and just uh, look for ways that you can serve and do it as unto God. Amen? That was for free. Just throwing that out there. Uh, let's get back to the word. So I want to look at what it means, what this understanding of better word means this morning. And I'm going to look at different characteristics of, of a better word and uh, just kind of take them apart and just talk a little bit about it and how it affects our life today. But the first thing that we need to understand about this better word, that the blood of Jesus Christ speaks a better word, is that it is an eternal word. Um, it's kind of the understanding, you know, when we look at the old law versus new laws, natural versus spiritual, right? It's this constant conflict that we live with. We need to be conscious of the fact that the author of Hebrews is talking in terms of already, but not yet. He's talking in terms of 
already but not yet. And so when we consider the kingdom of God, we know that it has been inaugurated as in it's already, but has not been fully consummated. In other words, it's not yet. We, we, I mentioned this before, but we pray this every time we say the Lord's prayers. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That statement indicates that it is already, it is inaugurated, but it's not completely fully consummated in our life. That one day we're going to step into the courts of heaven. Amen? That is something to be excited about. That is something to be uh, thinking about and meditating on and, and, and understanding that, you know, that eternal kingdom has begun in our lives today. We have this understanding with how we experience God as well. We understand that he is both transcendent and he is fully imminent as well. And what that means, and the best way I've heard it described is to, uh, through Tim Keller's uh, definition, is that he is infinitely up there, but he is also radically right here. If you want to think of a simple way to explain what Jesus did on the cross, is he took what was infinitely up there, what was infinitely separate from nature, and that was supernatural. He took all of it and he brought it down to us through the cross. To understand what it means that, it was, that it's an eternal word, we've got to take the time and look at Mount Sinai and compare Mount Sinai to Mount Zion. And uh, throughout the sermon this morning, I'll be doing that as we move along. Mount Zion is understood in Scripture as part of Jerusalem that became synonymous with the city of peace itself. It became synonymous with the city. So a lot of times when you hear Mount Zion mentioned in Scripture, it's a reference to Jerusalem. Uh, the earliest mention of Zion in Scripture is 1 Samuel 5-7. There we see that it was captured by David in battle, and David's love and affection for Zion echoes through the Psalms. He loved the city. He loved the mount. It says in Psalm 125, verses 1 and 2, it says, Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken but endures forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, and so the Lord surrounds his people both now and forevermore. Amen. When Hebrews 12 references Mount Zion, it is talking about our eternal home. The parallel between Mount Sinai and Mount Zion in this passage would have been revolutionary for the Jewish Christians that would have received this letter, that would have received this message. They would have understood Mount, Zion, Mount Sinai in very personal terms. Mount Sinai was a very personal thing to them and still is today. Mount Sinai was part of their Jewish identity. It is where they first met God. And when you think about that meeting and you look at the details of that meeting, it's quite spectacular. Their first meeting was marked by, first of all, terror and fear. It was, it was unbelievably hard to take in. It was where they received the law that was written on stone tablets. And even the fact, you know, the personal image you get when you think of stone tablets and how hard it would have been to carve, it just makes it this image of how hard it was to live by the law. The actual carving of the words into a stone tablet is it's not unlike what it would be like trying to live by the law today. Mount Zion would have been understood in the active present as Jerusalem, as I mentioned before. However, in this passage, it is understood as where Christians spiritually meet with God in the present. Instead of terror and fear, we find mercy, grace, and pardon there. Instead of the law written on tablets, God has written his law upon the hearts and minds of human beings today. 
He has not, i said this many times, he has not abolished the lie. He has fulfilled it perfectly in both person and in heart and in spirit and in every way he has fulfilled it perfectly. Mount Zion represents the beginning of our relationship with Christ, a relationship that begins here on earth but will be realized at the eternal mount in his presence. Mount Zion represents his eternal presence and he welcomes us to come. And this is the second thing I want to talk about. This better word that's spoken through the blood of Christ is that it is a barrier-breaking word. When you look at the old covenant, you think of Moses as the mediator. And the new covenant, you think of Jesus as the mediator. One, you know, covenant is represented by fear. And the other one is represented about by the, the ability to be able to approach with confidence. And if we look at these two covenants, we need to understand that one of the big things we're talking about is distance versus drawing near. One of the major things when we're distinguishing the difference between Sinai and Zion can be summed up in one word, and that is proximity. Mount Sinai was the mountain God commanded Moses to climb so that he could receive the law of Israel on Israel's behalf. And if you read down through Exodus 19, it explains all this quite clearly. Moses was told to warn the people not to attempt the ascent themselves. In fact, they were not even to approach the foot of the mountain or they would die, it says in verse 12. And in verse 13, it even mentions that even animals could not approach. And that it says and reiterates it in Hebrews that the animal would have to have been stoned. The mountain was consecrated and was set apart from the sin of the people. And we look at the fear and we look at the, the terror that was involved in Sinai. But the reason there was fear and terror is because we were so unholy. And you were approaching holiness. Divine Holiness. When the Lord was present on the mountain, it was consumed with thick smoke. There were earthquakes, thunder, lightning, it says in 19, verse 6 in Exodus. If you slide down to verse 18, it says, Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. I don't know if you've ever stopped and just thought about what that would have been like to experience. We see what's going on in, in, in uh, Iceland today and we see lots of pictures of the volcanoes and, and, and sometimes I see pictures of people getting close to it and I'm like, back up please. You know that, that, like I'm just imagining, you know, if that just, it's not like water splashing on you, that's lava, that's melted rock, man. Back up a little bit. But man, I know they probably are not as close as it seems, but... It's imposing. When you look at a volcano, you look at something that, you know, really is quite dangerous. And I try to imagine, you know, what, what Mount Sinai what must, must have looked like, covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. What an imposing picture. It says the smoke built up from it like smoke from a furnace. And the whole mountain trembled violently. So the earth was moving as well. Verse 19 in Exodus, it says goes on to say that there were trumpet blasts that got louder and louder as the conversation between Moses and God was about to begin. Can you imagine? Fire on top of this mountain, smoke billowing out, earthquakes, thunderclaps, and lightning, and the earth itself was moving, and then you had trumpet blasts that you likely couldn't see where the trumpet blasts were coming from, but you could hear it, and it was getting louder and louder and louder and louder, leading up to the conversation between God and Moses. I mean, wow, 
I'm telling you, it takes time sometimes to just sit down and think about what we're reading. It was difficult to approach Sinai. It was terrifying. This is how the presence of God was understood at Sinai. It was terrifying, unapproachable, because sin had not been dealt with yet. The holiness of God could not be approached by the sin of man. When I think about glory, and I think about Sinai, when you look at the Hebrew understanding of glory, it has this idea of weight, as if you feel you ever sat under one of those weighted blankets and you just feel the weight and you feel the, the heaviness of the presence of God. And then when you get to the, the New Testament understanding of glory, it's more about light and radiance. And today we get glimpses of that weight. And sometimes when you're in the presence of God and you're worshiping and you feel his presence or in your quiet time yourself, you feel the weight, but you also experience the radiance of his presence. And we just get a glimpse we just get a little element of it. At Sinai, they got the full, they, they were able to experience in, in a much more, you know, experiential, empirical way the glory of God in physical form, seeing it in front of themselves. Exodus 20, 18 and 19 says, When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said, Moses, speak to us yourself, and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us, or we will die. Do you feel the distance that this mountain was creating, even? The terror, the, 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 the ability, the lack of our ability to transcend to go from our sinful understanding and to be able to stand in the presence of a holy God. The terror filled their hearts. They were even afraid. They would ask Moses to speak to them. And Moses, it's not like Moses didn't say anything hard to the people. But they would rather Moses speak to them. They were afraid that if God opened his mouth, he would end them all. We see examples of this holiness you know, we see Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 when it says that, you know, he stood in the presence of God. He said he fell on his face and he said, I'm ruined. I'm ruined. This is the glory. This is the presence of God that they, it was so unapproachable because the sin in their lives had not been dealt with. In stark contrast, we have Mount Zion. And Mount Zion, in contrast to setting up this bearer of terror, invites us now to come. Come to the mountain. This is where a relationship begins. All the barriers to the mountain have been lifted. Hebrews 12, 22 and 24, I'll read for you again. Just listen to these words. Take them in this morning. He says, but you have come, not to Mount Sinai. That's old covenant. You have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God. The heavenly Jerusalem. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Already, but not yet, you have become to the kingdom of God now. You are kingdom residents now. And you're going to understand the full realization of that someday when you step into his presence, in his real presence, in his physical presence. I can't even take it in to understand what that will be like. 
You have come, he says, to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. We read about this in scripture. I'm so excited to speak on Christmas Eve. And I've been, I've been meditating and thinking about and asking Jesus, Lord, help me to understand what it means, what your incarnation, help me to explain it to the people in, in, in a new way, in a fresh way. I'm asking God to, to reveal it to me in a new way. But that, that whole experience when Jesus came to earth, we, we read over things sometimes and we, we forget sometimes, you know, that even to, the, to the, the shepherds that were out in the field, you know, that at the time were considered like degenerates in society. They were the lowest form of people in the society. And they were met with hosts of heavenly angels. Can you imagine it says here, you have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. You know why they're joyful? Because you have come. That's why they're joyful. Today, if you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that joyful assembly will rejoice. Scripture tells us that. And we get to join into that rejoicing with thousands upon thousands of angels. It says, you've come to the church of the firstborn. Hallelujah whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of those righteous made perfect. Those who have died and gone on to Jesus. There's a reunion coming. There's a reunion coming. Those who have gone before, those that have been, you know, instrumental in my own life, my own history, that I hear about, their devotion and relationship to God. You know, my dad's parents, so I never got a chance to meet. <laughs> Names were written in heaven. And today, they are the spirits of the righteous made perfect. I don't know about you, that makes me excited. I'm excited about the prospect of reunion. I'm excited about the prospect of the family of God being in one place with the perfect judge. And it says that you come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Sinai was fortified by the holiness of God, and sin could not penetrate it. The transcending God becoming imminent under the old covenant was more than we could bear. This was the version of God's imminence coming down. It, it was him coming down in fire with billowing smoke and earthquakes and thunder and lightning and increasingly loud trumpet blasts. It was not an approachable thing. The transcendent God becoming imminent in the old covenant was frightening. But Zion says, come. Zion says, come. The barrier of sin has been dealt with through the blood of Jesus Christ. He died on the cross. I mentioned this last week. Sometimes people get, you know, they get touchy when you mention blood. Why do we have to talk about blood in Christ, in church so much? Well, the blood is the lifeblood of Jesus. It means that he gave his life for you. And we like this, and we get queasy when we think of this image, you know. And some of you, if you saw blood today, you'd be like, ooh, and you pass out, right? Like, we get that way. But when we talk about the blood of Jesus Christ, we're talking about his life. His lifeblood, his lifeblood spoke a better word for you when he hung on the cross and he took your sin upon himself. The sin that separated the Israelites from Zion, from Sinai. 
the sin that made it impossible for them to approach the holiness of God, he took that sin upon himself and he died for you and took your sin so that you could approach Mount Zion. So that today, if you have never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, today you can come into the kingdom that is here, that it's inaugurated, and you can look forward to the kingdom in heaven that is not quite yet. Zion says, come. The barrier of sin has been dealt with. Zion doesn't threaten death. It offers life. Zion invites us into the presence of God. We experience it in part here and now. And at times, the weight and the light of his glory is almost too much to even take in now. But one day, at the eternal Mount Zion, we will understand the full expression of his glory. I could go to multiple places in Scripture and talk about what the glory was like in the Old Testament, how Moses was held in the cleft and God would let him look at his back because he couldn't take the full glory of who he was. He is no less transcendent today than he was then. If you're waiting for the mountain to catch on fire again and the smoke to start to billow, if you're waiting for the the earthquakes and you're waiting for the trembling and the lightning and for the trumpet blast, if you hear a trumpet blast, you're too late. Think about that for a moment. If you're waiting for the trumpet blast, by the time you hear the next trumpet blast, it's going to be too late. I'm telling you right now, he is an approachable God. He invites you to come. He invites you to come into the family of God and to accept what he has for you. He is infinitely up there, but he is radically right here for you today. We have unhindered access to God, not to receive heavy, burdensome tablets with instructions, but to allow his word to penetrate our sinful hearts, to be written on our hearts. Remember Hebrews 4.12 come back to it this morning. It's probably the most recognizable passage from Hebrews. When people read it, it says, for the word of God is alive and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him who must, who we must give account. <coughs> Excuse me. This verse exposes the current problem that people have with the idea of relationship with God. Today, you know what? People uh, don't fear seeing and approaching God. They may even actually be almost a bit too bold in the effect. They don't fear of seeing and approaching God. They fear that if they get too close to him, then he'll show them who they really are. Did you hear what I said? They're not afraid to approach. They're almost brazen. And act like he doesn't exist. Not, there's not this fear. There's not this reverence for God anymore. They're not afraid of approaching God. They fear that if they get too close, that they'll, God will expose who they are. God will show them who they really are. But I have news for you today. He already knows. And he loves us anyway. I think about that daily. 
I think about what it means to be able to have the privilege to be up here and share. And I think, I feel unworthy on a daily basis to do this. But then God reminds me that I am his. And that I am not up here because I decided it was a fun thing to do. I am up here because he has called me to do it. And because I've went to Mount Zion and he showed me who I am and what he has planned for me, he invites you to come. He has a plan for you. He has a plan to show you who you really are. Not only did his blood speak an eternal word and a barrier and a barrier breaking word. I just want to share a couple more things in closing. He spoke an imperishable, unshakable word. This is very similar to where we started with the eternal word. And I'll read Psalm 125. And one again, it says, Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be shaken, but endures forever. But just listen to 1 Peter 1, 23. It says, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of the imperishable seed. You know, it's already, the seed is planted now, but through the living and enduring word of God. But, you know, you will be full grown when you reach heaven someday. 1 Corinthians 15, 50 to 57. I was just talking about this passage with my parents last night. Discussing how it's one of the oldest creeds in Scripture, part of one of the oldest creeds in Scripture, is written some 15 years after Christ was crucified. Beginning of verse 50 is, As I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in the flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For the perishable must close itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The better word that's spoken through the blood of Jesus Christ was an imperishable, unbreakable word. It was also a cleansing word. We got to understand that the Old Testament exposed sin. But in the New Testament, through the cross, sin is consumed. Let me explain. When you look at Cain, Cain tried to hide his sin. He tried to bury Abel in the ground so nobody could find him. But the blood of Abel, the lifeblood, his life spoke out to his creator and said that he was killed in vengeance. And revenge was taken. And retribution was taken. And that is the, the tools of the old law. But Hebrews 12, 28 and 29 remind us, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. In the New Testament, in the New Covenant, our sin is not, He doesn't expose it and bear it before everybody. He takes it and He says, I have paid for this. Our sin in the new covenant is consumed with the refining fire of Jesus Christ. 
We've all heard, if you've been in church for years, you've heard the illustration of dross about, we used to sing songs about how God would burn away the dross, you know, and a dross would float when they melt the gold and it floats to the top and you can scoop off the imperfections. God refines us daily and through the sanctification process, through us living our life to become more like him every day. And in the, in the new covenant, we are consumed. His sin is, our sin is consumed by what he did for us on the cross through his better word. Lastly, I just want to just focus again on the fact that it is a better word. And I was looking for some scriptures I wanted to read to close it this series, and there were many. I could probably stand here and read a hundred passages easily that have to do with, with, with this. But Romans 5, 20 to 21 comes to me. And it says, Now the law came in to increase the trespass expose the sin, right? But where sin increased, grace abound all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Praise God. Now let's go back into Hebrews one last time at the end of this series and let's read this passage from Hebrews chapter 4 verses 15 and 16. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He walked this earth. He went through what we went through. He says, But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin, in every way, personal, spiritual, without sin, not even an errant thought entered his mind. Let us then with confidence draw near. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus is better in every way. Mount Zion is better than Mount Sinai. I thank God that we don't need to approach the terrifying mountain anymore. I thank God that I have a Father in heaven who says, come, come. A couple days ago, this old song came in mind, I don't remember all the words, but it says, come the master, call it, come and dine. We feast at Jesus' table. I can't remember all the words, but I was in, I was, I was just, anytime. And he's inviting you this morning. There's going to be an amazing feast, you know, the marriage supper of the Lamb, you know, and he's inviting you all. If you're here today and you view church and you view Christianity as this scary thing, and your idea of God is this big, angry, white bearded man with a white big robe up in heaven because society has told you that's what he looks like. And that he's up there judging with this big gavel. And the only time he would come down would be to display, you know, through fire and smoke. If your idea of him is this unapproachable, earthquake-shaking, lightning-blaring, trumpet-blasting God, I invite you to ask the Holy Spirit 
and say, Holy Spirit, God of all creation, what would you say to me today? What would you say to me? Maybe you've never spoke to God a day in your life. Speak to him. When you pray because of what was done on the cross, because he has given us access to the Holy of Holies, when you pray, your words enter the throne room of God and it says that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father and intercedes on your behalf. Speak your words in quiet. If you're afraid to speak them out loud, speak them in silence, speak them in your mind, speak them in your head, but speak them with honesty to God and say, God, come. Allow me to come. Lord, allow me to experience the choirs upon the choirs of angels who are rejoicing in heaven for me today. We're just going to pray very quickly. And if you're here today and you want to accept the Lord as your Savior, there's no big formula involved. Just talk to Jesus. But what you do need to understand is that what separated the Israelites from Sinai in the Old Testament is still what separates us today from him in his sin. And if we do not understand and deal with the sin, then we will remain divided from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. If we do not know today that we are in need of a Savior and that I have sin in my heart and that my heart is deceitful in every way and that I need his salvation, that I need his blood to speak a better word for me, if we do not understand that today, then there's not much that we can do. You need to understand that is sin. We were all born in sin and we were shaped in iniquity, it says. And you have a way. The Lord doesn't say, just go live and, and, and leave you to your own devices. He says, come. You have not come to Mount Sinai. You have not come to a terrifying God. You have come to a Father in heaven who loves you. And a Son who died for you. Holy Spirit who's speaking to you right now. Come. The Master calleth come and dine. You have an invitation today. I'm going to pray. Don't pray my words. Speak your own. Doesn't matter what it sounds like. Just tell him in your own words that yeah, I have sin in my life. Lord, come. Let your better word Let your blood speak a better word for my life today. (laughs) It'll be the best decision you ever make. It may not make your life feel all that much easier, but I'm going to tell you the presence of the Lord can give you joy through whatever circumstances. Let's pray. Father, I accepted the Lord, Lord, when I was a little boy. don't remember much about it. I actually don't remember not really serving you in my life. I'm thankful for that. I'm grateful for that. But still today I wake up in the morning and I hear you call. Come. Speak with me. I feel your, your draw saying, spend time with me. I miss you. And Lord, that is the beginnings of, for some people today, Lord, they're hearing that call maybe for the first time. And they hear the master come and say, I'm calling you home. I missed you. Come home. And so, Father, if there's anybody here today 
when they've approached the holiness of God, whether they feel it in the form of the weight of your glory or they've experienced the radiance of your glory this morning, or maybe they've got a glimpse of both, Lord Jesus. They've felt your presence in some way this morning, and they feel you calling them home. I pray that you would hear their voice this morning, and that they would feel the kingdom of God in their heart already, and that they would be excited about what the kingdom of God is going to mean for them for eternity, than not yet. Lord, we love you. We honor you, we glorify you, we magnify you. And Lord Jesus, I know that if one person in this place today confesses you as their Lord and Savior, all of heaven will rejoice. The thrones, the thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly will rejoice. And I pray that you would give them the courage to tell somebody here this morning so that they would have someone to walk with them. And so that we could celebrate with them and join in that, that, that thousands upon thousands of angels and celebrating with them, Lord, and that we can help them on their way. But Father, we just love you today. Thank you, Jesus, that your blood spoke a better word for me, for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being better in every way. We love you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's just take some time this morning and worship before we leave. God bless you today.